0: Ask Me M.D., Medical School for the Real World, with the M.D., Dr. D.J. Verrett. Greetings, and thank you for joining us for another edition of Ask Me M.D., Medical School for the Real World. I'm Dr. D.J. Verrett, and today I'm talking with Karen Fowler, CEO of TriSource Health, a physician consulting firm, about two things. First, we're going to discuss the changes coming to E&M coding in 2021. And second, Karen's going to give us some ideas for things physicians should think about as we restart our practices after COVID-19. We'll talk to Karen right after this. One in three adults has prediabetes. That means it could be you, your best man, your worst man. (laughs) Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org to know where you stand. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Welcome back to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett, and today we're talking with Karen Fowler, CEO of TriSource Health, about her suggestions to physicians to make 2021 a better year. Karen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So obviously, 2020 has been uh, quite the experience for pretty much everybody. Uh, physicians have taken a lot of different avenues that I don't think last year we would have thought we'd have to take. Um, and and there's, there's some things I think we need to think about going into next year. And there are a lot of changes coming in the E&M coding field. So I'd like to kind of get your take on it. But before that, Karen, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background for our listeners?
1: Absolutely. I've got about 35 years of experience in medical practice management, working with both large groups, small groups, rural healthcare environments, as well as integrated delivery networks, focused primarily on the operations and financial activities related to the medical groups themselves, as well as managed care contracting and payer enrollment.
0: And with that background, obviously you work with, with all different size practices, but I think uh, some of the insights you have would be applicable across the board. Uh, CMS has come out with some changes in E&M coding. Could, could you kind of recap some of those for us that just give us some information that would kind of guide physicians into what to expect next year?
1: Uh, absolutely. Most of the guidelines are specific to Medicare. We will find that many of the payers uh, that are commercial payers will follow these similar guidelines. Um, CMS has basically adopted some EM changes for 2021, primarily as it relates to CPT 4 code levels 99202 through 215 which are the new patient visit codes as well as the established visit codes. Basically, it allows for um, rescinding of the plan. Historically, the CMS's plan was to implement bundled payments basically for three levels of codes, and that has now been changed for uh, 2021. So the clinicians now have the ability to uh, select new and established uh, patient visit codes based on time or medical decision-making. So that's probably the biggest change uh, for 2021. The new guidelines for using time, again, will be based on new definitions um, provided under the medical decision-making.
0: When when you've kind of... Taking a look at some of those guidelines, what differences in documentation are we kind of expecting to come down the pipe next year?
1: Documentation, uh, again, you have your historical uh, method of documenting um, based on the 2015 and 2017 uh, CPT documentation codes. And then you also have the ability now to. Uh, base that based on time, which will capture many activities that are being done in the practice that you're not necessarily getting credit for today. And so there are two options that will go into play in 2021.
0: Now, when you talk about that, you mentioned things that are going on in the practice. I know under the current guidelines, uh, you can only bill for time in face-to-face discussions with the patient. Is that changing under the new guidelines?
1: Yes, it is. Um, it does. You know, Historically, you could only count your face-to-face time with the patient, and more than half of that face-to-face time you know, had to be spent in either counsel- counseling or coordination of care. And so the guidelines uh, for 2021 have changed. There are a number of resources that are out there, and in fact, um, AAPC, um, as well as the AMA, you know, have some additional um, guidelines and code descriptors. Um, there are some educational programs available and online workshops um, that would assist in uh, understanding the documentation guidelines. So time um, spent on reviewing test results, Time spent uh, to speaking with family members, additional time related to EMR documentation, which has not been historically accounted for, are several of the new items um, that are allowed to, to be included in the time-based uh, coding.
0: So it sounds like this uh, may, it'll be interesting, I think, to see how, how it plays out over time. Um, no pun intended, because it it sounds like reimbursements are going to kind of shift more towards what you were talking about, uh, kind of a bundled payment and taking into account all of the activities that go into taking care of the patient.
1: Correct. The original bundled payment that was supposed to go in place, of course, um, has been eliminated, and these changes for 2021 um, are accounting for those additional time factors. Originally, uh, providers were gonna be paid for uh, CPT four code levels uh, 99203, um, four and five, in some cases at the same rate. So that has changed. In addition to that, the work RVU values um, for 99213 and 214 and 215 have been revised. And so for providers who may be compensating um, their internal physicians or advanced practitioners underneath a work RVU methodology, we are seeing an increase in the work RVU calculations. So Medicare will be accounting for um, more work activities in the work RVU values that are established by the AMA.
0: uh, I think that's interesting. So if you're a physician that's on a work RVU payment model within a, a health system, let's say, you may actually see a change in your income just because of the change in the work RVU, even though you're spending the same time with the patient. Would that be accurate?
1: Yes, it would.
0: Um, let's kind of shift gears a little bit, um, and talk about some of the things that you've been counseling your practices in terms of dealing with the, the long-term repercussions of COVID. Obviously we've gone through a lot of rapid changes. What are you seeing with your practices that is, is changing that you think may actually be permanent and not just temporary while we get over the the virus?
1: Well, I think there are a number of factors. One, many of the practices have already um, come back in and are working to restart their actual practice. I think that there are a number of uh, items that you need to think about, and that is really re-looking at your practice as a startup practice. A few ideas that might be useful to your membership is, one, is I think you need to Look at your financial information, pull together uh, various uh, data elements such as your staff schedules, your prior provider templates, and take a look at your financial component associated with that. I would suggest that you relook at a performa as well and understand any ramp up activities that may go on, um, you know, post, true post COVID and what is the new normal. Uh, inside of your practice. In addition to that, you know, is there really pent up demand and how long will that pent up demand actually stay in play? And will you see a lull in your patient volume, you know, post reopening? And again, most practices have reopened. In, you know, Collin County, you know, we've had a lot of lift on restrictions uh, for patients and physicians in providing services. I think that factors that need to be reviewed by the practice are, you know, many of our Collin County residents um, have lost insurance and have lost jobs. In those case scenarios, they're reluctant to spend money and/or come into the practice. We have patients who also are fearful of coming um, back into the practice of, you know, potentially contracting COVID, um, and so I think what we need to do is understand staffing solutions. Staffing solutions could uh, include things along the lines of um, creating rotating teams, depending on the size of your practice. And that would be, you know, grouping together, you know, your front desk, your medical assistants, and your providers who could come in on different days so that if there was an exposure, Um, to COVID-19, that you wouldn't shut down the entire practice. Other areas that you might want to look at is for providers who may not be coming into the practice, um, ensuring that you've got telemedicine set up appropriately and that you've got the right communication tools and that you understand on a go forward what payers are going to cover telemedicine services and how to bill and code for those services. In addition to that, um, there are other just um, basic housekeeping patient flow activities, um, ensuring that that you're protecting both the patients and the staff, making sure that you've got guidelines in place for your practice, making sure that you have appropriate PPE um, for your staff and your patients, requiring your patients to wear masks when entering and exiting the practice, You know, there are many patients who don't want to sit in your waiting room or come into your waiting room. There is an additional burden um, on your staff to ensure that, you know, they're cleaning uh, the waiting room areas and any hard surfaces. Um, So looking at opportunities to text the patient, um, opportunities to have them wait in the parking lot um, versus in your waiting room um, could be an opportunity ensuring that you've got and maintain physical distance. So looking at the flow within your clinic and what your typical check-in and check-out process is, eliminating and having touchless check-in and check-out is also valuable, and there are some software solutions out there um, that will allow that to occur. Ultimately, telehealth adoption, I think, is absolutely important, and I think over the last couple of months, We've seen many of our providers and many of our practices um, integrating telehealth into the normal practice operations. You need to make sure, again, that you've got the appropriate adoption of technology solutions, uh, ensuring the security requirements are there, and then also you know determining in your patient's scheduling activity, how many visits will be virtual visits versus face-to-face visits. So that's a change or a shift in the way that, um, you know, many practices have done business. Understanding, again, the payer requirements, I believe, you know, is an absolute um, important factor. We're seeing many communications coming from the large payers, such as United and Blue Cross Blue Shield, um, that were originally going to stop paying for certain levels of telehealth visits and so, you know, putting together a master grid and understanding a both the billing requirements, um, as well as what can be done either via the telephone, or via a an electronic means.
0: That's, I think, some great information. Kind of back to the top, you were talking about putting together, just kind of starting your practice from scratch, putting together a pro forma. What kind of um, what kind of specifics have you seen? people changing today versus in 2019? So for instance, adding in the, the additional cost of PPE, um, maybe changing, you had mentioned your staffing requirements. Um, how, how have you seen those pro as really changing?
1: Well, I think you've got to start at the top and one is um, the net revenue side of the house And understanding what the blend between virtual visits and face-to-face encounters um, and understanding the percentages of those. Uh, Telehealth visits are typically reimbursed uh, at a lower level than a face-to-face encounter. So understanding, you know, volume related to both of those types of visits and the revenue impact associated with that. I think you also have to look at your accounts receivable. And that's not necessarily a performa factor, but it's a cash flow factor for the practice. And understanding, you know, do you have incremental expenses? Again, for cleaning supplies, PPE, um, extended hours, if you chose to um, extend your hours so that you had the ability to separate out when patients were coming into the practice. Other areas that I think factor into it as well um, is how are you compensating the physicians and is there a differential in pay for providers who come into the office versus telehealth? Those are the biggest areas, probably on the expense side. Um, You know, physician compensation, you know, additional costs for, you know, cleaning, cleaning supplies, and time and resource to do that and then changes in expectations potentially in your hours.
0: You mentioned um, patients' volumes may be down because patients are simply afraid to come to the office, but then the flip side is to, to compensate for that, you try to do telemedicine or telehealth, and the, the reimbursement is down for that, even though you, you have the same fixed cost of operating your building, et cetera. Have you seen any strategies to help allay the fears of patients who are afraid to come in for a visit?
1: I have, um, you know, there are a number of uh, organizations, practices that are, you know, promoting, you know, a safe environment. Um, And a lot of that starts from, you know, just your processes and your flows of, you know, how does a patient enter your practice, you know? Are patients spaced an hour apart or 30 minutes apart where you may have had them you know 15 minutes apart in, in, in previous? Ensuring that your waiting room you know doesn't have a large amount of patients sitting and waiting. so opportunities would be when the patient checked in, if you've got the number of rooms or space to have the patient self-room themselves, so instead of sitting in the waiting room, Um, you know, they would immediately go to an exam room that had already been cleaned, so they're not sitting with other um, patients in that uh, waiting area. So really looking at your process and flow, um, and I think also communications. If you've got a web portal or a website, posting that information on your web portal or website just how you're different or how you're doing business differently to protect both the patient and your staff members.
0: That's actually a really good point is not to forget the staff as well. You mentioned one strategy of of creating, I guess, kind of teams of staff and having them rotate through so that if there is a COVID infection, you're not affecting anyone. Um, have you seen any strategies that that have worked well? One of the problems in, in that regard may be staff not getting their 40 hours of, of work in. Have you seen strategies where staff can do some things from home and, and work within the practice to, to be able to make, make payroll be productive to the practice, but also uh, protect everybody from, from infection?
1: Absolutely. I think there are uh, a number of activities that occur inside the practice that could be done from home or what is being, um, you know, looking, looked at as hoteling. um, And that is really working from home. And those could be along the lines of, you know, referrals, authorizations, prescription refills, any activity that doesn't necessarily um, have a direct face-to-face uh, patient encounter component associated with it.
0: it. It sounds like that kind of goes back to your idea of start thinking of your practice as a de novo practice and really look at not only the financials, but the workflow that's involved as well.
1: Absolutely. I would recommend putting together in conjunction with your office team you know, basically a checklist as well as what could we do differently on a go forward basis, A, to protect the patients and B, to pr- protect the staff um, within inside the walls of the practice.
0: It'll be interesting moving forward because I think some of those, uh, some of those changes we adopt could be long-term changes even when the virus threat is over.
1: Absolutely. You know, as you look out across you know, all business um, activities, you know, real estate, size of clinic, numbers of exam rooms, you know, just change in workflow processes, changes in telemedicine, I think will have a significant impact on the ultimate footprint um, of size of practices. Uh, and need for real estate as well. I think uh, over the last couple of months, uh, we've all found different ways of still achieving um, and taking care of patients um, just in a different manner um, and not necessarily all on-site activities.
0: We're talking with Karen Fowler, CEO of TriSource Health. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to ask Karen her top three. Welcome back to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Vered and today we're talking with Karen Fowler, CEO of Trisource Health, about her suggestions to physicians who open their office after COVID-19 and about the changes coming in Medicare reimbursement for office visits. As we do with all of our interviewees, we're going to ask Karen a top three and Karen, if you would tell us, what are the top three things you would tell physicians about preparing for 2021?
1: Number one would be ensuring that the providers or physicians have the appropriate training on the new E&M coding, as this is a major shift um, from historical documentation as well as um, reimbursement processes. I can tell you the 2021 uh, CPT4 uh, code books are published, so I would also suggest that they look into uh, purchasing those as well. Two would be really rethinking the process and looking at your practice as a de novo or a new practice, looking at the processes, the flows, your staffing level, and the financials uh, associated with. Um, changes to your organization. And then three would really be adoption of telemedicine, um, ensuring that we don't lose sight of the standards uh, of care for patients and that if a patient needs to be seen in the office, that we continue to um, have ownership of that.
0: And I think that's an excellent point is that the standard of care is still the standard of care. I know Personally, it's, it's kind of easy to lull yourself into just doing telemedicine and feeling pressure from patients who don't want to come to the office, who just want to be seen online or send you, send you photos, um, but, it, but it's really important to remember that the physicians are, are the ones who know how to deal with something, and we shouldn't compromise our quality of care simply because of patient uh, satisfaction.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, just understanding, you know, how you communicate that back with the patient is absolutely critical. Um, people do like to have remote services, but as you said, you know, that is ultimately a medical decision, you know, made by the physician or by the provider.
0: Karen, thanks for some great information. I think, um, it 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 will definitely be interesting to see how things play out, but certainly some of these changes are going to be permanent. Uh, we'll have to, I guess, time will tell if it's going to be for for better or worse.
1: You're you're correct, um, and I think we've got to continue to evolve. You know, with COVID or without COVID, and you know, always look for ways to improve our processes and our practices.
0: We've been talking with Karen Fowler, CEO of TriSource Health, about things physicians should start thinking about for 2021. You're listening to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett. Until next time, make it an awesome week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Ask Ask Me MD
1: Medical School for the Real World with Dr. DJ Verrett. If you have a question or an idea for a show, send us an email at questions at AskMeMD Podcast.com.